Hello, I'm Michael McMullen. This is the World Snooker Tour podcast. Now, you may have heard of something that there's been in American golf over the years called the Bounce Back Player of the Year Award. It's for someone who's been prominent in the game, fallen off the scene of it, and then come back. We don't have such a thing in snooker, but if we did, I think it would definitely have to go to this week's guest, Ricky Walden. Ricky, welcome along. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, you've always represented England but it was actually in Wales that you grew up. Yeah, that's right. Mum and dad are both English. All my family are English, but we lived um, just over the border in North Wales, um, not far from Chester itself. Um, yeah, grew up there and had a great childhood growing up there and actually went on to represent England, but there was a chance I could have represented Wales at a, at a young age. You turned pro in 1999, but back in those days, being pro didn't mean you were on the main tour. You were on something called the UK Tour at the time, and there was a really high standard on it. Yeah, that's right. The UK Tour was played around the clubs in the UK. Obviously, um, Hazel Grove, I remember, was, was one big venue that we played at up in Manchester. Um, yeah, and then it went on to the Challenge Tour then to, to sort of um, to break through onto the tour from that. So, yeah, a lot of players were sort of fighting for them spots already. Didn't take you long, though, to get on to the main circuit. 2001, you arrived. So tell us about your early years on there. Yeah, obviously, um, very difficult when you first come onto the tour. It's always an eye-opener, you know, to see the standard that you're coming onto. Uh, the conditions are obviously a lot different to what you're playing on and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I struggled, I think, the first the first season. Um, I think I won some games, but not too many. I was I was playing okay for my level at the time, but I was still nowhere near good enough to compete with my all-round game with some of the guys that I was playing. So yeah, big learning curve. Uh, and I actually, um, I don't think I stayed on in my first year. I think I think I dropped off just about and then I was fortunate enough to get a wild card back on. And as so many players of that era say, Ricky, it wasn't a great time to be starting out. There weren't many tournaments. And that just put huge pressure on every match, didn't it? Because you knew that if you lost, it might be a couple of months before you got another opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think the pressure... The pressure that I felt was was having them in a block, really playing like three tournaments in one. And if you got off to a bad start, you sort of the second game become bigger. And then if you lost that one, the third became huge, you know, because you could be packing the queue away from a tournament point of view for a couple of months, like you say. So we were all in the same boat who come on at the time, and it was it was just a case of. Uh, just trying to get your head around it, trying to enjoy it best you can and, and just see how far you can go, really. You did start to get a few results over the following years, but it was still a bit out of the blue when you had your massive week in 2008. So I'm going to read you a list of names now. Stephen Hendry, Neil Robertson, Steve Davis, Mark Selby, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Any idea what that list is? I do, yeah. That was my uh, that was my first my first win over in Shanghai. It was um, obviously a tough draw, looking back at the names and stuff. And That's five of maybe the seven or eight best players of all time. Yeah, and I think even going back further than that, really, I played, I had to play Anders Zang in the, um, in the prelim for that. And then back back home in Prestat in there, I had two qualifiers against uh, Elise Bick and Ian McCulloch as well to get out there. And I remember being in a dogfight with with Mac, um, two 0 down, looking like I was done pretty early, and come back and won that five two. So so yeah, good level all the way through really, and it was a yeah amazing achievement for me at the time really. And that is the thing, isn't it? At that stage of your career, going there, if someone had said you'd get to the quarterfinals, say, you would have been probably quite happy with that. So at what point of the week did your ambitions change in terms of what you might accomplish? I think honestly. The semi-final, probably. When I was down to the last four, I had it in my mind. I was playing Selbs in the semi, and I just thought, um, obviously, this is a big game. Selbs is a great player and stuff, but I just thought, yeah, it's, it's it's a winnable game for me, and if only I can make the final, then I've got got a chance. So the semi-final sort of changed for me when I, when I beat Davis in the quarters. 
I felt a lot of pressure in that game and uh, yeah, I felt like I could uh, I could go on and, and do something from that point, really. To win your first title is fantastic in any circumstances. But add in the fact that it was Ronnie O'Sullivan, who had just become world champion for the third time a few months earlier. It was a close finish as well. What are your memories of that day? I remember the first session, uh, I think I might have been 5-4 down. And I was, I was missing a few balls, but I was actually playing well with the frames that I was winning as well. Um, and I was pretty happy to be, to be in touch with him, if I'm honest, at the time. And... Uh, my friend Dale was out there with me at the time and we were just quite chilled about it and stuff and looking forward to the night session and then, yeah, just went frame by frame and then um, the major thing that I remember about that, that match was the red that I missed to close out the match, um, 10-7. I was on 50, 50 yard, like the balls were perfect and uh, I slipped up and it went 9-8 and then, yeah, that was a horrible memory at the time and then but I, I managed to get over the line uh, with a good break in the last, so yeah, just a roller coaster of... of uh, of memories really and when you miss that ball inevitably all kinds of horrible feelings start coming into your head have I let this slip is this my big chance am I going to recover from this so how do you put those thoughts out of your mind I was pretty clear to be honest like weirdly I was pretty clear at the time I, I remember missing the ball because I was thinking of like mum and dad back home and the journey that we've been on to that point and they'll, they'll be glued to the tv watching and stuff like that just just natural things that you think of and obviously concentration slipped um, and then, to be honest, when I was sat in my chair, I just thought, I haven't, I'm not having a week as good as this, and letting that be be the the final thing. You know, I've got to I've got to go one last push. I remember being quite clear on that and thinking, I'm just going to give absolutely everything now for two frames if need be. But luckily, I only needed one. At any given time, there are probably 50, 60, 70 players who have the game, have the ability to go and win a tournament. But it's still a big hurdle to overcome when you put yourself in that position to actually get the job finished. And not everyone's capable of doing that. No, absolutely. And I think when everyone finishes their career, there will be like a pecking order on, on how well people have done with that kind of thing. You know, you see your serial winners um, and they obviously do it to a high level consistently. Uh, and I've managed to do it a couple of times myself. So, yeah, I, I know what it takes to go through that. But it's, it's obviously very difficult to do consistency. It's, um, it's, a, it's a really tough game, as everyone knows. It can often be the case, when you have surprise winners of big events in any sport, that they can just fade back into the pack after that and never achieve anything much again. But you certainly didn't. You became a consistent performer over the years which followed. And although it took you almost four years, you did back it up with another ranking title, winning the Washi Classic. A bit more comfortable in the final this time, although Stuart did throw a 147 at you along the way. But how different was it? Was it a case of feeling, yeah, this is great, this time it's all about backing it up and I've done that? Or was it much the same as Shanghai, just that joy of getting over the line? Yeah, no, it was, it was very different, to be honest. I think, I think you're right in what you say. When you've won one, um, like you say, a lot of players can win one. It's, I was lucky enough to win one at the time, but I was always in my mind, you need to win two, really, if you want to show that you can, you can really do it. So, yeah, that was in my mind at the time. And, yeah, it was a weird week that was. I didn't really play great to be honest but my match play was pretty strong and I was quite balanced with with the way I was playing and stuff and the final was um, a true reflection of that really I don't think I scored too heavy but my safety was good and yeah I was nicking a few frames here and there and I I felt pretty calm with the whole situation to be honest and if you're going to win two you might as well win three which you did in the international championship in 2014 now some players struggle with going to China and doing well in the tournaments over there because of time differences, different food, all that sort of thing. But the fact that you had overcome those challenges and had won tournaments there already, was that something that 
by that stage was helping you going into Chinese events? Yeah, I think so. It, you, you seem to, obviously you get a belief from things that you've achieved. So the fact that I'd won out there before was in my mind that I can go and win there again. Uh, and I sort of followed that up really. I, I like traveling. I like being away from, from home from a traveling point of view and seeing new places. So I'm always pretty relaxed with that. And sort of the way it, the way it works in China sort of suits me really. It's quite simple. You know, you play your game, you've got an afternoon to kill, go and do a gym or whatever and bite to eat. It's quite a quite simple living, which is which suits me really. One of the craziest things people say in snooker, Ricky, is, yeah, Ricky Walton's won three ranking events, but they were all in China, as if that somehow takes away from it. I would take the opposite view, that for the reasons we've outlined, to go there and perform and come away with the trophy is in some ways a bigger achievement. So does that annoy you that people have said that or do you just shrug it off? No, it doesn't annoy me to be honest. It's obviously people create narratives, don't they? They, they find something and then just link it all together and, and, and that's my link that people say. So yeah, I've, I've played well in the UK obviously and I've, I've not managed to lift a trophy here, uh, not a ranking trophy anyway. So that's that's obviously something I want to achieve. But no, you can't really pick and choose where you're going to win your tournaments. You know, you, you're playing great players all over the world. So wherever you wherever you sort of win the trophies is, is, is great, you know. And around that time, you arrived at number six in the world rankings. An incredible level to get to. When you got to that point, was it a case of thinking, yeah, this is basically where I always expected I'd get to eventually? Or were you maybe a bit surprised that you got that far? No, if, if I'm being totally honest, it was always in my mind that I was going to get to that level, you know, and... and it was always in my mind that I was going to win trophies. It was always in my mind that I'd that I'd be at the top of the game. So um, when it happened, it wasn't something that was bothering me. I was just sort of enjoying it really and just enjoying playing at the Masters and just being in these circles and and obviously trying to improve at the same time, trying to push on. And you clearly weren't afraid of the big stage. Those tournaments, particularly Shanghai and the International Championship as well, were established as very big tournaments at that time. You'd done well in the UK Championship on a couple of occasions as well. And of course, 2013, you get to the World Championship semi-final and play Barry Hawkins. Now, you both missed so many balls, a lot of mistakes, both of you struggling for fluency and rhythm. I guess... All of that probably reflected just how much it meant to you both and what a big opportunity you knew it was. Absolutely. I think we, we but it was new to us both at the time. We both sensed the importance, I'm guessing. And yeah, it was uh it was a really strange match because like when we first started the first couple of frames, I remember just being all over the place and like thinking, Oh my god, how am I gonna do this for so long now? Like I've got like, a couple of days of this and I just feel so so nervous, so like so wrong really and then I settled down after a couple of frames and then I played great then for about four frames I think I had a couple of tons and I was just buzzing it was just just feeling feeling really settled down and stuff so yeah and then as the days went on it, it sort of went that way for me I was I was having frames where I was sort of unraveling a little bit but then I'd have a couple of great frames and um, I found myself with a healthy lead and yeah just started missing a few balls again and Barry was sort of pinching I think he pinched like four frames on the spin that he from my point of view he shouldn't have been anywhere near you know but I was just I was just making mistake after mistake and absolutely yeah it was an edgy game for both of us and uh, we were both in there fighting and at the end of the day he's ended up figuring a way figuring a way to win that match which is uh, incredible every credit you know but I, I remember just being at the hotel in that final final session at 12 apiece I think it was and just just thinking all wrong just just thinking about how, how how many mistakes I've made and how much I've let Baz off the hook kind of thing and instead of thinking that I've got one more final session my thoughts were just all wrong in that final session really 
And yeah, the rest is history. I didn't, I didn't perform and, and yeah, that was me out. And when that was all over then, how did you feel the next day knowing that Barry, who you had outplayed really for large sections of the match, was playing in the world final and you had gone home? Yeah, hungover for a start. Uh, and yeah, just fed up. Obviously, you, you don't really see any positives at that time. You only see missed opportunities. And yeah, I was struggling for a, for a good week or so. Couldn't watch any of the final. Uh, obviously, I wish the lads well, but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be anywhere near a TV to see it and stuff. But yeah, it's one of them things that happens to us all. You know, we're all playing at a high level, so you're going to win games that are great. And obviously, when you lose bad ones, it's tough. So when you add it all up, the fact that you got to experience that one table situation, and then at the same time, obviously the realisation that you weren't able to win a semi-final that you might well have done. When people say now, 2013 World Championship, does that evoke good memories or is it something you want to forget? Oh no, it's, it's a good memory for sure, definitely. You, you can't be uh, you can't be silly about things, you know, I played well all the way through and yeah, I enjoyed the semi-final to a point, just I wish I could have played it a little bit better and, and got to that final and just see how I would have fared in the final, you know, it would have been an amazing experience, but yeah, hopefully one day I'll get back there and, and can put things right. And the pink going in. I'm sure Ricky Walden wants to shake his hand and he says that's enough. And that's lovely to see. Great sportsmanship. Ricky Walden will be very upset that he didn't take advantage of those sessions. But look at the delight on Barry Hawkins. Great competitor. Has proved it in this match. And now he's in the final of the Betfair World Championship. Ricky Walden go away disappointed, taking a while to get over it. You did put it behind you to have more success. As we've said, you won the International Championship the following year. You got back-to-back finals in the spring of 2016. And you remained a top player, but then you started to fade away. And people were all saying, Ricky's got big problems with his back, which was the case. So what was the nature of those problems? And was that what it was all about? Uh, Not totally what it was all about, to be honest. Um, Because probably around that time, the kids, um, uh, my little boy had been born. And I was was finding it difficult to be away kind of thing and missing the family kind of stuff. So my my performances weren't really... I was struggling for results anyway, you know, before the back went. Um, But obviously... I was still in the 16, I think, when the back went, or just outside. Um, but then, obviously, when the back went, it was a it, w- it was a bad one to take, and obviously uh, catapulted me the wrong way in the rankings. The thing with back problems is it can be something that develops over a long period of time and just gets worse and worse. So, was it gradual, or was it something that was very sudden? Yeah, I've always had like a few niggles with the back. Uh, I've missed the odd tournament here and there, and it normally takes like three days just to just to rest up. Um, but this particular incident was, I was on holiday at Christmas. Uh, we were over in um, in America and I was at the airport coming home. And I had, my little boy was was walking by the side of me, I had coffees in one hand and he was asking to be picked up. And I sort of bent funny to pick, to pick my little boy up and keep the coffees level. And my back just instantly went and I was doubled up. I felt something just go really bad in, in, my, in my lower spine. Uh, and then I, I hobbled to the flight and then it was like a seven-hour flight home. And then when I ended up getting back to the airport in Gatwick or whatever, I literally couldn't walk. It was, I was like hunched over to a point where I just couldn't. I was excruciating pain. And then uh, my wife drove us back home, couldn't get out of the car. I had to crawl into the house. And then, yeah, that was the start of it, really. It sort of uh, snowballed from there. And it was just like a big recovery time to, to sort of come through that. Because it went on for years, didn't it? Yeah, it was like that kind of pain sort of went after about two months let's say 
but then it was just a niggling everyday pain that I couldn't really couldn't sleep properly, uh, couldn't practice. Um, yeah, it just debilitating niggles consistently. That was uh, yeah on a daily occurrence. It was it was tough to get sorted in the end. Um, I seen so many different people. A lot of people helped. A lot of people didn't. And you were just trying to find the right person who could really figure out what was going on. And it brings a mental side as well because you must have been having dark thoughts that. This could be the end of me as a player. Yeah, definitely. I know. I know. For a while there, I thought I was done. It was wasn't sleeping right, and just just sat awake thinking, how am I going to earn money? How am I going to support stuff? And yeah, I thought I was done because there was just no way I could play to any level anymore. It was it was as simple as that. Every game I was turning up at, I'd still have the same mindset that I could play well, but the balls just weren't going in. I was losing to pretty much everyone I was playing, literally everyone I was playing, and yeah, I was embarrassed. Um, and yeah, in a lot of pain as well. It was it was a tough couple of years, to be honest. When you'd got to that point that the back was better, it's not as if you can go out the next day and just expect to immediately resume the way you'd been playing a few years earlier. So what was that process like in terms of then getting your game back on track? Yeah, unbelievably difficult because my, my brain works in the way that like, because I've had those experiences, even though I know it's down to my back, the reason I haven't been practicing, you, you still had them. Then moments you still missed all them balls, you still played that poorly for a couple of years now. And sort of every tournament I was turning up to, I was looking around, I'm going, yeah, he's beat me, he's beat me, he's beat me. I just, I, I had no positives coming out my out my mind, you know. So, yeah, it was basically going back to scratch uh, with the support of my family and and my manager and, and pal Lee Gordon was just with me at all times. He was just doing everything in his power to, just to sort of get me back step by step, really. And, I was still as determined as ever, but it was, yeah, starting from scratch, I guess. So we'll talk about the success that you've had this season in a moment. But going back to the start of the campaign, did you feel you were on the brink of getting back to where you belonged and that this could be a good season? Yeah, I think so. I've had like probably maybe the last 12 months where I felt as though my practice game level has gone up up a little bit and I've been feeling better and literally no pain or injury or anything like that. So it's, it's all been good from that point of view. And yeah, I've gone back to... Uh, I got my queue sorted for the start of the season as well. Gone back to my old old spec of queue from John Paris, and it feels great. So yeah, everything just seems to slot in this uh, uh, for the season. And yeah, obviously I've just been trying my hardest to get things going. Really, was there one particular match sometime in recent months during this great run you've had where you thought, yeah, it's happened. The old Ricky's back. Do you know what? It's been it's been tough. Not not really, to be honest. I've 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 had some good results. And things have been going okay, but but actually, the games that I've felt the strongest and the best have been the ones I've lost so far this season. The two semi-finals against Mark Allen in, in uh, Northern Ireland and Zintong over in Berlin, I actually felt great and I felt like my game was really bubbling under the surface. But made a few mistakes, just trying to get used to them new feelings again. And yeah, it's all a learning curve. But I, I do I do know my game's there. It's just a case of keep keep plugging in and wait for it to show up. I don't think you ever had that level of consistency over such a long period, even at your peak. So how does it compare now? Are you as good a player as you were maybe a decade ago, or maybe even better? Yeah, I actually think I'm a better player, but it's it's a case of you have to get it out on that match table to prove, really. I feel as though I know a lot more about the game. I feel as though I'm tactically better from experience. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I feel like I'm a better player, but but the thing is... It's okay to say that, you know, you've got to go out there and perform and and that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. And the great thing is, it's not like you came back, played well and have just continued around that level for the season. It's got better as the months have gone on. 
Yeah, it's been uh, it's been good. It, to, to me, it feels like nothing's nothing to get carried away with, but it, it feels like it's just bubbling under the surface, like I say. And uh, I'm working really hard every single day trying to improve. And yeah, long may it continue, and I can I keep improving. We come now, Ricky, to what I call the quick fire round. This is just where I throw a few topics at you, and you say whatever comes into your head. Just a bit of fun. Favorite movie? Uh, it would be Goodfellas, probably. Yeah, it's one of my one of my faves. Your favorite song? Favorite song? Um, something by Nick Drake, probably. Something chilled out. Well, this answer could take a long time because I know you've got loads of mates on tour. Players you'd go for a night out with? Yeah, there's a few. Um, yeah, probably the Scottish boys, uh, Stephen and John, um, and then the local lads to me, like Andrew Higginson, Rod Lawler when he was around. So yeah, everyone was um, everyone was up for a beer. Really, it's good. Your all-time favourite Liverpool player? That is so difficult, but yeah, John Barnes, I'd have to go. John Barnes for me. And your ideal day off? Um, depends. It Probably watching the game, to be honest. Chilling with a beer, watching Liverpool play. Have the kids running around and yeah, just a nice lazy day in front of the TV, watching the Reds. I guess for all those years when you were waiting to see when Liverpool would finally win the league title again. You probably imagined it very differently to the way it did turn out on that famous night in 2020 when the title did at last come back to Anfield. But it was at peak COVID time, really, wasn't it? So where were you on that evening? Yeah, I was just at home, glued to the TV. Uh, obviously, buzzing with what's just happened. But at the same time, like you say, just just gutted for the players, really, because they should have been... I actually had a ticket for the game if if we were able to go, so... Yeah, I was gutted for the players. They couldn't celebrate and, and get the trophy at Anfield, you know, in, in front of the crowd. So, yeah, brilliant achievement. And hopefully they can, uh, like, keep going and get, get there with the crowd. It's clearly been a big part of your life, hasn't it, Liverpool? Because you get some people who say, oh, yeah, I'm a fan of this team or that team. And you sense they're not really that into it. But it's obviously something that's meant a lot to you since very early in life. Yeah, I love that. I've been a Liverpool fan since, uh, since I can remember. Been going to Anfield a long time and... Season tickets over the years, got one at the moment. Um, yeah, love following them. If I'm not at Anfield, I'm always in front of the TV supporting them. And yeah, I love the game. So just returning to your own career then, Ricky, how would you sum it up overall? The roller coaster that you've had, as we've said, the roller coaster at the moment is on quite a high. But how do you feel we should sum up your achievements over the last 20 years or so? Yeah, hard work, I guess. It's, um, it's probably not how I thought it would go, even with the trophies and stuff that you're lucky enough to win it's I expected to get my game out there more and and, and get on a roll a lot more than, than I've actually done and it just shows how hard the game is you know everyone says it but the standard is just unbelievable and when you're struggling for confidence down the rankings there's no easy game uh, and then when you're up there everyone's gunning for you as well so yeah tough tough sport tough game but enjoyed uh, enjoyed every minute of it really How would you describe yourself as a player? What would you say are your strengths and then also the things that you feel you could be better at. I think I can improve at everything, if I'm honest. Um, I'm pretty inconsistent on the way I go about things. But at the same time, I know I've got a lot of power when things are right. So, yeah, my scoring can be really good and my tactical play can be really good. But but some days it can leave me as well. So, yeah, I play on a lot of feel and stuff. So it's... it's uh, it's hard for me to get it out there consistently, so that's something I can definitely improve on. We talked earlier about narratives when we were referring to the fact you've won all those titles in China. Another thing that we in the media have to hold our hands up about that we're guilty of, we find out one slightly interesting thing about someone's life away from the game, and we go on and on about it. Now, in your case, you were referred to for many years 
as Ricky Walden, the guy who runs marathons. But it was just the one, wasn't it? It was absolutely just the one, yeah. And it was nothing to do with me to um, to talk about that. But it was, um, yeah, I'd done a few half marathons over the years just to keep fit and stuff. And then just decided to see if I could task myself with the marathon. Done one and that that was it for me. That was, that was me done. Have you been able to continue running? I guess with the back problems, it was hard to do. Yeah, I'm back running again now, actually. I, do, I can do like five mile pretty comfortably now and stuff. Whereas before, obviously, I was running a lot more, but... Yeah, for two, for two, three years, two and a half years, say, I, uh, I didn't run at all. And that was sort of a mental, uh, mental block with that as well. You know, it was tough not to be able to get out there running. And you have two kids now? Two boys, yeah, six and three. So yeah, hands, hands are full back home. The three-year-old, probably a bit too young to be getting into it. But is the six-year-old showing any interest in snooker? Not really. He'll come to practice with me and stuff and, and throw the balls around. But no, he's not really, he's not really ready to, to get the cue out yet. And I just sort of let the boys make their own their own calls through their life and, and see where it takes them, really. And what are they into? Apart from breaking stuff, of course, as young boys do. Um, it's bad to say, but yeah, they love they love the iPads and stuff. It's hard to get them off, you know. Obviously, they love getting to the park and all that kind of thing. But yeah, trying to keep them off the devices is, is, is a hard thing to do. And a big occasion coming up for all the family later this year, Ricky, your 40th birthday. What can be still to come for you in the game? I think... Um, the fourth trophy is the main thing on my mind, really, to get to get my hands on a trophy again. So, yeah, that's going to be however long it takes is, is going to be my main aim, really, and keep improving. I think you can still improve if you're willing to work. So, age doesn't really worry me, and just going to keep on keep on trying my best, really. And you'd love, I'm sure, if you could win that one more tournament for it to be in Britain, not because of the things people have said about you winning all your tournaments in China, but just so your family and friends could be there, and of course the fact that it's so special to win on home soil. Yeah, definitely. Um, playing over um, in Wolverhampton I was thinking if I can get to the final then mum and dad can come down and it does build the pressure you know because you want it you, you do sort of want that moment with them f- for them more than me really it's they put so much into my career and they're behind me so much and made so many sacrifices that you'd like to share that with them really and I guess with everything you've gone through the dark times your back problems wondering if maybe your career at the highest level was over now that you are back playing well You've got to really want to make the most of every bit of time that you have left as a good player. Yeah, definitely. Even when I'm playing like this season, if I've been playing poorly and, and feeling like I'm having a shocker out there, I can I sort of feel differently com- compared to how I used to feel. I just think, well, at least I've got a chance next frame. And uh, 12, uh, 18 months ago, I wasn't really in this position to be competing, so... I'm lucky to be here now and just just grateful to to have the opportunity, really. Well, we're all grateful to have you back playing well again. And it's been wonderful, Ricky, as ever, to sit down for a chat with you today. We wish you the very best for the seasons to come. And thanks so much for joining us on the World Snooker Tour podcast. That's great. Thank you very much. Now, next week will be the start of the Betfred World Championship qualifiers. And for some players, that means decision time in terms of tour survival. Andrew Higginson will go there needing to win at least one match to stay on. And ahead of that, he'll be joining me on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Looking back on a long career, still best known for an eventful run to the Welsh Open final 15 years ago. I made the headlines. I had an absolute ball for a a week. And we lived, you know, we lived. I remember each game I'd played, we stayed in a different hotel every time I won. So we started off in like a little sort of cheap hotel. (laughs) And then I won, I beat um, Mark Orfu. So then we moved to a different hotel a little bit more, so I'd won a bit more money. Then we moved to a different hotel when I beat Higgins. And before I know it, I'm staying in the Celtic Manor for like the semis and the final. And even like that tailor, it, it, you know, it, it's things, memories that I've got that 
I can look look back on not with regret, but like just on fondness. So that's coming up next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast. And don't forget to check out our bonus content, the 147, rounding up the week's snooker news in 147 seconds out every Tuesday. Until then, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.